السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونشكره ونستعينه ونستغفره ونستهديه ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أرسله بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا بين يدي الساعة من يطع الله ورسوله فقد رشد ومن يعصهما فقد غوى حتى يفيء إلى أمر الله وإنه لا يضر إلا نفسه ولن يضر الله شيئا وقال الله عز من قائل أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, we are in the final few days of Sha'ban. And there's a lot that can be said about the upcoming month of Ramadan. We can speak about its virtues, its relationship with the Holy Quran, what we should do, what we shouldn't do in the month. We can speak about the virtues of fasting and the virtues of the recitation of the Qur'an, the virtues of charity in Ramadan. Ramadan is a huge topic and we could devote entire sessions to just one single aspect of many different aspects of the month of Ramadan. But today, as has been announced... What I wish to concentrate on is the theme of spirituality in Ramadan. That Ramadan is a spiritual month. It's a month of spirituality. That's what I would like to focus on. And in order to understand how Ramadan of all the months of the year, especially, is a month of spirituality. Let us take a look at ourselves as humans and our origin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created (coughs) angels animals and birds and ins and jinn, humans and jinn. Of course Allah has created the whole of creation but apart from inanimate objects and apart from other living organisms such as plants and trees etc, the four main categories which are regarded as being of a higher existence than the rest of creation, are 
beasts and birds. Jinn, humans, and the angels. And if we look at just these four categories, we will see many similarities and a number of differences. First of all, with the highest form of creation, the angels. When Allah created the angels, Allah created them from pure light, from nur. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha relates a hadith recorded by Imam Muslim in his Sahih that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Allah has created the angels from nur, from light. And Allah has created the jinn from the flame of fire. And Allah has created you human beings from what has been described to you, i.e. the dust and soil of the earth. So Allah has created the angels from nur, from light. And Allah has fashioned them and molded them in such a way that the angels have no desires, no physical needs. They do not rest, they have no need to rest. They do not eat or drink. They have no need or desire to do so. They have no relationships. They do not procreate. Theirs is an existence of light and of virtue. And of total obedience to Allah. As Allah says in Surah Al-Tahreem, describing the angels, The angels do not disobey Allah in what He has commanded them to do. And they do what they are commanded and instructed to do. In another verse, The angels, they never precede Allah in word. They are meaning, they are forever obedient. There is no interjection on their part. They do not outdo Allah or try to outdo Allah in any way. When Allah commands them or gives them an instruction, there is no interjection. There is no pause. There is no protest. Rather, they listen silently and attentively and obey. Their very nature is one of obedience. As all of these verses show, لا يسبقونه بالقول They do not precede Allah in word. وهم بأمره يعملون And they do of His commandments. They act on His commandments. They fulfill his commandments. That is the very nature of the angels. And each angel has been assigned a task. Their whole existence revolves around the fulfillment of that individual task. Regardless of what it may be. And of course there is a hierarchy even amongst the angels. But that's the world of the angels. They have no needs, no desires. No inclination to eat, drink, rest, procreate. Their whole existence is one of light and obedience in the worship of Allah. And tasbih. In fact, uh, their 
breathing has been described as a tasbih in itself. Their whole existence, their ibadah, their tasbih, their forever hymning the praise of Allah and His glory, this for them in itself is a form of inhalation and exhalation. This in itself is a form of breathing for them. So these are the angels, created from light. Their existence is one of light and one of virtue and total obedience. They undergo no change. That's the most important thing in our discussion. They undergo no change. So the angels do not rise, they do not fall. In Islam there is no concept of a fallen angel. Iblis was never an angel. He was of the jinn. So it's incorrect to believe or to think that Iblis was an angel who then fell from grace. There is no concept of a fallen angel. Uh, Islamic teachings are that the angels are as they are. They do not deteriorate, they do not fall from grace, and they do not rise higher than their current station. Allah has created them for a particular purpose from light to live a life to live a life of obedience and virtue and they are as they are they undergo no change of these four categories apart from the angels on the other hand further down we have the beasts the beasts and the birds the animals and when i say animals i speak of both the beasts and the birds animals and birds they all live a certain existence and Allah has created them in a certain way the angels Allah created them from nur from light and Allah also gave them intelligence and the animals Allah created them from the dust of the earth and having created them from the dust of the earth Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them certain characteristics and Allah has also instilled in them certain needs and inclinations. So, the beasts and the birds, they live a life of eating, drinking, resting and procreation. For the beasts and birds, these things are not just necessities, but also luxuries. They have a need for these things, but they are also something of pleasure to them similar to the similar to the angels the beasts have not been commanded by Allah to obey or to live and behave in a certain way similar to the angels Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept the beasts and the birds as they are in a static state they do not fall from grace and they do not rise to a certain station or level. They are as they are. Beasts do not undergo the change that we see in human beings or that we would expect in humans. Allah has also deprived the beasts and birds of intelligence. Of course, all living things have a form of intelligence without doubt. But... I'm speaking about the high intelligence, the high intelligence of the angels or the human beings, or the jinn. The beasts have been deprived of that level of higher intelligence. 
but they have the bestial needs and inclinations and behaviours of eating, drinking, self-survival, procreation, and even rest. And in between these two, the angels and the beasts, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created jinn and men. And the jinn and men share qualities with both. The jinn and men, share qual- humans, share qualities with both the angels as well as characteristics with the beasts. So, for instance, Allah has created angels from light. Allah hasn't created humans or jinn from light. Humans Allah has created from the dust of the earth. And the angel and the jinn Allah has created from the flame of fire. But just like the angels, Allah has endowed both jinn and humans with higher intelligence. However, while sharing some qualities and characteristics with the angels, humans also share many characteristics and attributes with the beasts. Because we have been created from the earth, similar to the beasts, we also have certain needs. And these needs are also inclinations and pleasures in themselves. The need to eat, to drink, to let, to rest, to live and to procreate. So in some ways, humans are like animals. They share these qualities and attributes with them. However, humans have also been endowed with higher intelligence like the angels. However, for both men and jinn, there is one crucial difference between them, the angels and the beasts. The angels are static in their state, and so are the animals. They are static in their state. But humans and jinn are not static in their condition. Humans and jinn rise and fall. And in fact, they can rise to be greater than the angels in some aspects. And they can also fall from grace to such a low level that Allah himself describes them in the Quran in the following words. Some humans, Allah says, These are like cattle. Nay, they are even more misguided. So, depending on a human's behaviour, his choices, his actions and deeds, the human can sink to such a low level and to such a low depth of depravity and bestiality that Allah describes these same humans as being worse than the cattle. And cattle here is not specific to just cattle, but it's uh, in Arabic. Sometimes a specific name can be used, such as cattle, but the reference is to animals in general, rather than particular forms of livestock. However, the same human being, depending on the deeds and the choices, can rise to such a level that rather than describing them as being beasts or worse than the beasts, Allah actually boasts of them to his angels. In Surah Al-Baqarah, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relates the story of the creation of Adam alayhi salam, Allah says, وَإِذْ قَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي جَاعِلٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفَةِ 
قالوا اتجعل فيها من يفسد فيها ويسفك الدماء ونحن نسبح بحمدك ونقدس لك قال اني اعلم ما لا تعلم الله says and when your lord said to the angels i am about to make a deputy on earth they i the angels said will you place on the earth one who will spread who will spread corruption therein and who will shed blood when we are here we hymn your praise and we hallow your name allah said in reply i know what you do not know and then when allah created adam alayhi salam allah says وَعَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ كُلَّهَا ثُمَّ عَرَضَهُمْ عَلَى الْمَلَائِكَةِ فَقَالَ أَنْبِئُونِي بِأَسْمَاءِ هَؤُلَاءِ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ قَالُوا سُبْحَانَكَ لَا عِلْمَ لَنَا إِلَّا مَا عَلَّمْتَنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَلِيمُ الْحَكِيمُ قَالَ يَا آدَمُ أَنْبِئْهُمْ بِأَسْمَائِهِمْ فَلَمَّا أَنْبَأَهُمْ بِأَسْمَائِهِمْ قَالَ أَلَمْ أَقُلْ لَكُمْ إِنِّي أَعْلَمُ غَيْبَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَأَعْلَمُ مَا تُبْدُونَ وَمَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْتُمُونَ الله says and he Allah taught Adam the names of all things or all the names allah taught adam all the names then he presented these names or not the names but the objects which were named allah presented the ob- the named objects to the angels and he said to them inform me of the names of these things if you are truthful they said hallowed be your name we have no knowledge except what you teach us or what you have taught us verily you are the most knowledgeable you are the most wise allah then said to adam alayhi salam o adam inform the angels of the names of these things then when the when adam alayhi salam had informed the angels of the names of those things allah addressing the angels said to them did i not say to you that indeed i know the secrets of the heavens and the earth and i know that which you were which you would reveal and which you would conceal so by virtue of knowledge and the names of things that allah had taught to adam alayhi salam but not to the angels allah proved his superiority over the angels through ilm through knowledge that's what allah did at the very beginning and from many hadith we learn that allah speaks of his creation and his servants to those who are in his presence so in a hadith related by imam muslim in his sahih rasulullah sallallahu from abu hurairah radiyallahu an rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says mujtama'a qawmun fi baytin min buyutillahi ta'ala yatluna kitab allah wa yatadarasunahu fi ma baynahum illa nazalat alayhim as-sakinah wa ghashiyatuhum ar-rahmah wa haffatuhum al-mala'ika wa dhakarahum allah fi man 'indah rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says never does a group of people gather in the in one of the homes of allah reciting the book of allah and studying it amongst themselves except that tranquility descends upon them mercy envelops them and the angels surround them wa dhakarahum allah fi man 'inda and allah mentions them to those who are present in his assembly the angels and allah 
speaks to speaks about them and mentions them in a very proud and boastful way. Just as Allah said to the angels then, I know what you do not know. Part of that knowing, what the angels did not know, is that the humans indeed could sink to that level of bestiality, of sinfulness, that they will spread corruption on the, on the earth, and that they will shed blood, and that they will cause mischief. But, unknown to them, but known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is that the same human beings could rise well above that, and not just well above that, but scale such heights that Allah would boast of them to the same angels in the future. So, human beings, just like the jinn, can undergo huge changes and fluctuations. Why is that? Why is that the case with human beings? And not the angels and not the animals. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed us here as a test. And part of that test is to obey Allah azza wa jal and to fulfill his commandments and be his deputy on earth. Both as individuals and collectively as a whole, or as the whole of creation. And most importantly, the reason why human beings are so different is that, and why they can rise to the heights of the angels or sink to the depth of the animals. And when I say rise to the height of the angels, this doesn't mean that human beings in general can become better than the angels. They are actual grades. This isn't the time for the discussion, but just so that I can dispel any misconception, the certain specific individual angels are indeed better than the whole of creation. So, not the whole of creation. Let me put it this way. The prophets of Allah, are better than all the angels. And amongst the angels, certain individual angels are better than the rest of creation after the Prophet ﷺ. Then, in general, the extremely pious of the servants of Allah, especially amongst the companions and disciples of the Prophets ﷺ, the true saints of Allah, can be better than some angels, but certainly not better than all of the angels, especially the likes of Jibreel and Mikael ﷺ. So when I say uh, a human being can rise to the height of the angels or even better, I'm not speaking about all human beings and all the angels, but keeping this distinction in mind, which I've just explained right now. So, what makes the human being change so much that he can sink to the depth of the animals and the beasts, or rise to the height of the angels, or even better? The reason is, humans are made up of two distinct things. The body and the ruh, the spirits. We only see and we only tend to understand the body. And indeed, as far as the body is concerned, that body is the entity which shares so many characteristics with the beasts. We have bodies just like beasts. 
eyes, hands, feet, senses of smell, sight, touch. And we share these with the beasts. Just as the beasts were created from the dust of the earth and its soil, humans were also created from the dust of the earth and its soil. Our nourishment is always from its origin. Since we were created from the soil of the earth, this body which originated from the soil will be sustained from the soil, just like the beasts. Our food comes from the ground. Whether we eat vegetables or whether we eat animals, those animals themselves have been nourished on grass. And... That's where the food chain eventually ends. The food chain will trace itself back to the earth. Humans, birds and beasts have been created from the soil of the earth. That's their origin and that will also be the source of their nourishment and their food. So we, just like the beasts, have been created from the earth. That's where our food comes from. That's our origin. We share so many qualities and attributes Food, the need for food, drink, rest, and procreation. In that bodily sense, we are no different to the animals. And in fact, uh, when it comes to categorization, humans have always been placed in the category of talking animals. That's what we are. However, there's something distinct about human beings, something very unique. We are just simple animals at the end of the day, with the same bodily organs and functions, with the same senses of touch, sight, smell, taste, etc. If we share the same characteristics as the animals of food, drink, the need for rest and procreation, then why are we on earth so different to the rest of the animal kingdom. Why is it human beings who uniquely have this extreme high level of intelligence that we are able to live and organise our lives in the way that we do? There is something unique about human beings. And that high level of intelligence has been fused in man from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by Allah. Morals, ethics a unique sense. All of these things come from not the body, but a different entity. As I said earlier, human beings are made up of two distinct entities. One is the body, which we always tend to concentrate on, which at times is the only one that we believe exists. But there's another entity to human beings. And in fact, that entity, that being, that essence of man is far greater than the body. And that essence is the ruh, the spirit. In fact, man is man. Not because of the body of flesh, blood and bones. But man is man because of that ruh and that spirit. Because it's connection. And it's origin. It's origin is divine. Divine in the sense that it's celestial. Not divine, but its origin is celestial. The body has come from the earth, but the ruh, 
which has been blown into man, into the body of man, has not come from the earth, it's come from the heavens. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he created Adam alayhi salam, Allah did not create the body and then instruct the creation, the angels, to prostrate to the body of Adam alayhi salam. No, Allah says, as is mentioned in two different places of the Quran, both Surah Al-Hijr and Surah Sa'd, Allah says, فَإِذَا سَوَّيْتُهُ وَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِي فَقَعُوا لَهُ سَاجِدِينَ Allah says that he instructed the angels, فَإِذَا سَوَّيْتُهُ Then when I have fashioned him, meaning Adam, perfectly formed and molded him, وَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِي and I have blown into him of my spirits. Then you fall before him in prostration. So what the angels prostrated to was not the body of Adam alayhi salam as it was the ruh and the spirit that Allah had breathed in him. That ruh is what makes man man. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the ruh, not just of Adam alayhi salam, but the whole of creation, before the body, and the ruh was blown into the body. In fact, long before our bodies existed. Allah again in the Quran, Surah Al-A'raf says, <coughs> reminding human beings, وَإِذْ أَخَذَ رَبُّكَ مِنْ بَنِي آدَمَ مِنْ ظُهُورِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ وَأَشْهَدَهُمْ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ أَلَسْتُ بِرَبِّكُمْ <coughs> قَالُوا بَلَىٰ شَهِدْنَا أَنْ تَقُولُوا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ إِنَّا كُنَّا عَنْ هَذَا غَافِلِينَ Allah says, and remember, when your Lord took, i.e. extracted, from the backs of the children of Adam, their own children. So Allah extracted from each father and each parent their children and subsequently from each individual their progeny, one after the other. And remember when your Lord extracted from the backs of the children of Adam their children and he made them all witnesses against themselves or over themselves. And addressing all of them, Allah said, And remember, this took place in the world of spirits. And Allah said, Am I not your Lord? And they all replied in unison, Yes. Allah extracted this promise from us, from every individual destined to live in the world. Allah himself says, Lest you say on the day of resurrection that you were unaware of this, that we were unaware of this. This is why our ruh understands its connection with the heavens. It understands its origin. It understands where it came from and where it will go. But in the world, that ruh and that spirit is caged within our body. So long before our bodies were created, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created our ruh, our arwah, our spirits. And when we came into this world, our ruh wasn't created just before we arrived in the world. Our ruh was merely placed in a cage, a carriage. Our body is a carriage. 
And this carriage will carry the body, will transport it on this journey of life for just a few short days. And then when we die, the body will decompose and disintegrate and disappear into the earth. But the ruh will soar to the heavens again. The ruh continues to live on. And all that life is as we understand it. Yes, if we look at just the body, then what we will say is that the body was formed, it lived, it will die, it will decompose and disappear. But if we look at the spirit, the spirit existed long before the body came into the world. And in the world, the body merely acted as a cage and a carriage, as a mode of transport for that same ruh. And then once the body decomposes and dies, the ruh does not die in that sense as we understand it, but rather it continues its journey. This is the real essence of life. It's the ruh, not the body. And Allah, we may not fully understand it. Allah Himself says in Surah Al-Isra, وَيَسَلُونَكَ عَنِ الرُّوحِ قُلِ الرُّوحِ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي وَمَا أُوْدِيتُمْ مِنِ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا that they ask you and they ask you about the ruh, about the spirit. Say the ruh, the spirit, is a matter of my Lord and you have been given very little knowledge. We do not fully understand it. In fact, our bodies and our minds, which are part of those physical bodies, do not possess the ability or have the capacity to understand the affairs of the ruh and the spirit, that valuable passenger that resides within this carriage and this body. Now having said all of that, this ruh is the essence of life. This is what makes a person a person, a human being a human being, a man a man. And since the ruh has come from the heavens... Its nourishment will also come, not from the soil of the earth, but rather from its origin, from the heavens. The body's origin, and therefore the source of its nourishment, is the earth. And the ruh, the spirit's origin, and therefore the source of its nourishment, is the heavens. And this is why Allah has given us messengers and books and religious teachings these are not so much for the carriage and for the body as they are for the ruh and the spirit. The human being is made up of both things, the body and the spirit. Now, we do not see the ruh, we do not understand the ruh and the spirit, and as a result, we often neglect the ruh and the spirit. It's to address and arrest this neglect that Allah has given us so many commandments and teachings and sent messenger after messenger. And if I can just share with you a few moments regarding our attention that we lavish on our bodies, hopefully we will be able to understand the disconnect with the spirit. What do we do with our bodies? The bodies are, our body is a living thing without doubt. It needs its food, its drink, its rest, its nourishment. And we lavish attention on it. We feed it. We overfeed it. We indulge in pleasures. We indulge in all of those bestial activities which we share with animals. To a certain extent, they are necessities. But beyond that, it can become gluttony and debauchery. 
Our bodies are prone to disease. Our bodies need care and attention. In order to survive, they need nourishing, caring, feeding, water. They need all the care and attention that we can give them. But unfortunately, we overdo it at times. And when we look at ourselves, all our attention is focused on this carriage, this car. Because that's what we are doing ultimately. We are lavishing all our attention on the mode of transport itself. And we are ignoring and neglecting the passenger. When it comes to diseases, yes indeed, the bodies are prone to disease. And the largest budget of any government in the world will almost always be healthcare and medicine. But Allah has commanded us time and time again. That the human being is not made up just of the body, but rather there is a spirit. And that spirit needs attention. That spirit needs care. It needs feeding, drinking, nourishment. It also needs to survive, and not just survive, but grow. And our success lies not in the body, but rather in our spirit. In a hadith later by a Muslim in his sahih, and also by Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi in his sahih, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Inna Allah la yanzuru ila suwarikum wa amwalikum, walakin yanzuru ila qulubikum wa amalikum. Allah says, very, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Verily Allah will not look at, or does not look at, your forms and your bodies, and your wealth. Rather Allah looks at your hearts and your deeds. That's what really matters to Allah. Not the physical appearance and beauty, but what resides within. In, in fact, in Surah Al-Munafiqoon, whilst describing some of the hypocrites, especially Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ كَأَنَّهُمْ خُشْبٌ مُسَنَّدَةٌ Allah says, and when you look, addressing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Allah says to him, and when you look at them, i.e. the hypocrites, namely Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ Their bodies please you. They impress you. وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ And when they speak, you listen attentively to their words. Why? Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul was a grand human specimen. Tall, well-built, strikingly handsome, sweet-voiced, honey-voiced and eloquent in his speech. He was a born leader. And this was... Mainly his, well, this, this played a great part in his opposition to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He, he was aggrieved. And he begrudged the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's arrival in Medina, which led to his being deprived of the crown of Medina. Because prior to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's arrival, he was about to be declared the chieftain of the whole of Medina. And the Prophet ﷺ arrived. So Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul had all the qualities of leadership. He had wealth, influence, power, well-spoken, very eloquent. 
And along with these characteristics of leadership and intelligence and influence, and he was a poet, along with his verbal eloquence and poetry, he was also strikingly handsome, very handsome. Allah attests to his handsomeness in the Qur'an. So Allah says, وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ And when you see them, their bodies impress you and please you. وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ And when they speak, you listen attentively to their words. But Allah says, كَأَنَّهُمْ خُشْبٌ مُسَنَّدَةٌ In reality, they are like propped up planks of wood. Meaning, in order to understand that phrase, in and around our homes, especially in rural areas, we, we see things lying about. So imagine if there's a plank of wood. You, you see a large plank of wood, and we do this now as well. On the one hand, you think, shall I throw this away? It's a beam or a plank of wood. Shall I throw it away? Or shall I keep it? So part of you says, discard it, because it's not worth much. It, it'll just be a burden and a hindrance. It's an eyesore. It'll take up space. On the other hand, you think, maybe, because it's also part human nature to hoard and to hold on to things. You think to yourself, maybe it'll come in use in the future sometime. So unsure of what to do with it, despite it being a burden and an eyesore, temporarily you think to yourself, okay, let me just leave it on the side. So it's like a, a plank of wood, which is eventually rotting. But you prop it up against the wall. It serves no purpose in itself. You are just merely hoarding it. Perchance that in the future you may be able to put it to some use. But like most hoarded items. Which aren't looked after and protected. Eventually it's just rotting by itself. But it's pretty useless. It's an amazing description. Allah describes the uncrowned king. And the chieftain of Medina. Who has all the, le- who has all the qualities of leadership. Of Wealth, of power, of influence, of poetry, of eloquence, and who to boot is also strikingly handsome. Allah describes him as a propped up plank of wood. Because bodies do not matter to Allah. Appearances do not matter to Allah. What really matters is the heart that resides within. And that's why in a famous hadith related by Sayyiduna, uh, Sayyiduna al-Nu'man ibn Bashir radiyallahu it's a very long hadith recorded by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and others. I'll just mention the final parts. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, أَلَا وَإِنَّ فِي الْجَسَدِ مُضْغَةً إِذَا صَلَحَتْ صَلَحَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ وَإِذَا فَسَدَتْ فَسَدَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ أَلَا وَهِيَ الْقَلْبِ Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, and no, that in the body there is a piece of flesh, which if good, then the whole body is good. And which if corrupt, then the entire body is corrupt. Lo, know that that is the heart. If the heart is pure, the body is pure. If the heart is corrupt, the whole body is corrupt. And that means the deeds, the speech, everything is corrupt. Our ruh requires attention. It requires care. It requires nurturing. You know, we have children. When a child is born, amazingly, in the entire animal kingdom, we look at birds, beasts, animals. It's said that in the entire animal kingdom, human beings are unique in the sense that they are the most vulnerable. 
most vulnerable, and they require the most attention and for the longest duration. So a human baby requires more attention, more care and looking after, and for longer than any other animal. And this is why human beings, our age of maturity, physical maturity, is for males 13, 14, for girls slightly younger. But they say the mental maturity of a human being is only after 20 years of age. And Islamically it's mentioned that the maturity of a human being in terms of wisdom is only after 40 years of age. And when I say mental maturity, uh, because human beings, uh, some of you may may recall the latest scientific research shows that the human brain actually continues to physically form fresh and anew until up to the age of 20. And it's only at the age of 20 and slightly beyond that the human brain physically settles as it is without any further development. Of course, there's always constant change and deterioration, but the development of the human brain actually continues till 20 years of age. This is why they say, um, as part of this research, that when we, when we say to children, kids just don't understand, it's a fact. Their, human, their brains do not possess the ability or the mental capacity to actually understand what we as adults or parents say to them because their human brains have not fully formed. The human is more vulnerable than any other animal on earth. It takes longer for the human to grow up, to develop and to mature, both physically, mentally and emotionally, and in terms of wisdom than anything else. But there is one thing even more vulnerable than the human body, and that is the human ruler, the spirit. Just like the human body requires attention, the ruler requires even more attention. Indeed, it's like a child. Some of you may, well, almost all of us have heard the term tarbiyah. What does tarbiyah mean? When we hear the word tarbiyah, it's an Arabic word, but we use it in virtually all the Asian languages and in all the languages used by Muslims. It's a common word, tarbiyah. And commonly, the word is translated as upbringing or Islamic upbringing or moral upbringing. None of these phrases are actual, are accurate, to be honest with you. Of course, they uh, render the general meaning, but they are not precise translations. Because the word tarbiya, allow me to explain to you where the word tarbiya actually comes from. Rabba yarbu ribban, urbuwan, means to grow. For those of you who understand Arabic, you'll understand the abwab and the other details. But Raba Yerbu simply means, the word Tarbiya comes from riba. And yes, the same riba as we know as interest or usury. And riba means to grow, to flourish, to rise. And this is actually used for plants. So imagine a plant. If we wish to have a tree or grow a plant, you can't just leave it as it is. Imagine a plant. 
It requires watering, irrigation, the right amount, not too much, not too little. It requires the correct amount of heat, the correct amount of sunlight. It requires the correct shade, the correct temperature. It requires so much care and attention, the right nutrients. And even a single plant, if you fail to look after it, you drown it with too much water, you leave it too dry, you leave it in too dry conditions, or you expose it to too much sunlight, or the incorrect temperature, it will wither and die. That's a plant. And I read something remarkable about plants, and some of you may be able to identify with this. I once read that if you, even if you purchase a plant from... Uh, somewhere else, or you move a plant from one place to another, they say you should actually leave it for a few days so that it can acclimatise, one, and also because the plant is under great stress after moving. The plant is actually stressed out after moving. So before you start treating it in any particular way by giving it nutrients or uh, water etc you should allow the plant to settle in its new environment once it's got over the stress of having been moved and that's a plant Allahu Akbar and in fact just a few days ago I read a headline but I couldn't actually read the article which is about plants talking to each other some of you might be able to recall that I wasn't able to actually read the article but it was a headline so this is why I said right at the very beginning that all the creation of Allah has some level of intelligence. But not the higher intelligence of human being does not human beings does not Allah say in the Quran and there is nothing which does not hymn the praise of Allah except that you do not understand its praise and its tasbih. Everything. Animals, birds, even grass, even plants. Now, I was mentioning about plants. Look at how much attention a plant requires. And yet, this is where the word tarbiyah comes from. Raba yarbu means to grow. And when a person cultivates a plant, looks after it, nurtures it, helps it grow, helps it flourish, protects it, this whole procedure is known as tarbiyah. And this is also known as Tazkiyah. In reality, as far as origins are concerned, the word Tazkiyah and the word Tarbiyah are both synonymous. This is what Tarbiyah originally means. Now when we, we use the phrase Tarbiyah to refer to upbringing, i.e. of children. But in reality, although it serves a meaning, and I'm not saying it's incorrect, originally that's not what Tarbiyah means. If anything requires Tarbiyah, it's not the vulnerable child. If anything requires tarbiyah, it's a ruh within the human being. Now, what prevents human beings from rising above this low station? Those same qualities and characteristics that keep them bogged down and at the level of beasts. Food, drink, indulgence, and rest and procreation. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, encouraging us throughout the year, has actually made it an obligation in the month of Ramadan in one month. That for one month, 
you will be obliged, you will be placed into an obligation to prevent yourselves indulging in these things. The same things that prevent the human being from rising below that low level. All those qualities that we share with animals, food, drink, and procreation, as well as excessive rest, all of these have been forbidden to us in Ramadan. Although there is no particular stipulation about excessive rest, that comes in with all the encouragements of the Prophet ﷺ and what we should actually do in the month of Ramadan. So for one month, we have been placed into an obligation that throughout the year, you neglect your ruh. And when you neglect your ruh, it doesn't remain static. Just like a plant, it withers and it dies. Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Shams, وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا وَالْقَمَرِ إِذَا تَلَاهَا وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا جَلَّاهَا وَالْلَيْلِ إِذَا يَخْشَاهَا Till the end, Allah says by the sun. Allah swears by many objects in His creation. By the sun and its brightness. Mid-morning brightness. And the moon when it follows the sun. By the day when it is revealed by the sun. Or when it reveals the sun. By the night and its darkness. By the sky and by Allah who created the sky. By the earth and Allah who spread the earth. By the soul and that Allah who created the soul. And by Allah who then inspired the soul to both good and evil. Allah then says. But after swearing on so many objects of his creation, Allah says, Allah sets down a rule as to who is successful and who is a loser. The one who is rich, of a good appearance, of all the other normal worldly qualities that we seek and aspire to. In the words of Allah, these are not the successful ones. Allah says, Indeed has succeeded. He who allows the soul to grow and flourish. And indeed has perished he and lost that who stunts and prevents the growth of the soul. When the soul is uncared for, and it's deprived of attention and nourishment, it withers and he actually dies. Not the physical death that we understand it, but it dies a spiritual death. That spiritual death death deprives the individual of light, of guidance, and of true sense. That is the greatest misguidance. That is the greatest loss. So for this one month, throughout the year, we may lavish attention on our physical bodies and neglect our ruh. But for one month, Allah has placed us under an obligation to pay some attention to our ruh and our spirit so that it may create a momentum in us that will last throughout the year of doing something at least for our ruh, of caring for it, of nourishing it, of paying it some attention and helping it grow and flourish rather than killing off its growth. And why the month of Ramadan? Because Ramadan is a month of spirituality. Ramadan is a month of the ruh. I said earlier that the physical body comes from the earth. Its nourishment will come from the earth. Food will come from the earth. The spirit comes from the heavens. Its nourishment will come from the heavens. And its greatest nourishment is the Holy Qur'an. The Qur'an is the nourishment of the ruh and its spirit. And the spirit. And Ramadan is the month of the Qur'an. And not just the Qur'an. We learn from a hadith later by Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal in his Musnad that 
all the major scriptures that were revealed to the prophets والسلام, the Injil to the prophet Isa, the Torah to the prophet Musa والسلام, and even the suhuf, the scriptures of Sayyidina Ibrahim والسلام, as well as the Holy Quran, all of the major scriptures were revealed to the prophets in the month of Ramadan. And as we know about the Quran, why is Laylatul Qadr so great? Why is Ramadan great? Ramadan is partially great because of Laylatul Qadr. Why is Laylatul Qadr great? It's partially great because both Ramadan and the night of Qadr owe their greatness to the Holy Quran. Because the Holy Quran was revealed in Laylatul Qadr, meaning in one go. Almost as a single instance of revelation from the highest heaven to the lowest heaven in preparation for its gradual revelation to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That occurred on the on Laylatul Qadr in the month of Ramadan. And coincidentally, the very first verses were also revealed in the month of Ramadan to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Not just the Holy Quran, but the other scriptures to the other messengers were all revealed in the month of Ramadan. In this month, Jibreel alayhi salam would come and meet with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and they would revise the Holy Quran. One would read to the other whilst the other listened, and then the other one would read, and the other would fall silent and uh, and listen attentively. Ramadan is a month of the Quran. Ramadan is a month of revelation. Ramadan is a month of the nourishment of the ruh. And this is why, what do we do in Ramadan? If you look at all the teachings of Ramadan, they are designed to ter- divert our attention from our physical bodies to the spirits. Allah has told us, during the day you are to fast. The Prophet wasallam has told us, during the night, you are to recite the Qur'an. In taraweeh, in qiyam. Ramadan is a month of the Qur'an. That's why in another hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Amr radiyallahu anhu, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, on the day of resurrection, Allah will give a voice to both the fast and the Qur'an. And the fast will speak up and say, Oh Allah, I prevented this servant of yours from his food and drink and from indulging in his pleasures during the day because he was preoccupied in fasting for your sake, in me. Oh Allah, Accept my intercession on his behalf. Then the Qur'an will speak up and say, O oh Allah, I prevented the servant of yours from resting throughout the night because he was preoccupied in my recitation for your sake. O oh Allah, accept my intercession on his behalf. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, For yashafa'an, both the Qur'an and the fast, their intercession will be accepted by Allah. The point of mentioning this hadith it's not so much about the forgiveness and the intercession, but it's about the relationship between the fast and the Holy Qur'an. The relationship between the month of Ramadan and the Qur'an. This is what Ramadan is designed for. During the day, fasting. During the night, continuation of ibadah. And less rest, less sleep, less food, less drink, less... And total, well, abstention. In fact, in the final 10 days of Ramadan, what is the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Total seclusion and i'tikaf. The meaning of i'tikaf is to single-mindedly focus yourself on one thing to the exclusion of everything else. Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would do more in Ramadan than he ever did at any other time of the year. And when the final 10 days would come, 
Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would rise he would rise, he would fasten his belt, i.e. be determined to worship Allah in total isolation and total devotion for the final ten days. And he would also exercise total abstention from other things and he would also awaken his family so that they would share the last ten days of Ibadah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of his greatest sunnats was i'tikaf in the final 10 days of Ramadan. And what kind of i'tikaf? Single-mindedly devoting oneself to the worship and the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What all of these things show, whether it's fasting, whether it's uh, spending the nights in prayer and in recitation, whether it's following the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whether it's a'tikaf, what all of these acts of worship show, and these teachings show, is that the month of Ramadan is designed to divert our attention away from this physical body, and to lavish some attention on our ruh, merely as a kind of training, so that it creates a momentum that lasts us throughout the year. In fact, Allah says in Surah Al-Baqarah, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامُ كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ O believers, fasting has been prescribed for you, as it was prescribed for those who came before you. Why? We may think of many wisdoms and purposes for fasting. Allah mentions only one in the Qur'an. Allah mentions only one purpose, one wisdom, one reasoning for fasting, which is, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ in the hope, perchance, maybe, you may become muttaqi, you may adopt taqwa. And what is taqwa? A lot can be said, uh, a very succinct definition, a very succinct definition of taqwa is, taqwa means, or taqwa is, to guard oneself from the displeasure of Allah, by guarding one's senses and one's limbs from the disobedience of Allah. This consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is complete, can only be achieved when we divert our attention away from our bodies and onto our ruh, and we prepare ourselves in the month of Ramadan so that that taqwa can be created and it can last us throughout the year. That's what fasting is designed to do. That's what prayer is designed to do. This is why... I mentioned at the very beginning that Ramadan is a month of spirituality. It's a spiritual month. I haven't shared with you any of the other topics of Ramadan. It's virtues, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. There is so much that can be said. Allah not only instructs us, but Allah also prepares the climate and the atmosphere for us. Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim both relate a hadith from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, إِذَا جَاءَ رَمَضَانَ فُتِّحَتْ أَبْوَابُ الْجَنَّةِ وَغُلِّقَتْ أَبْوَابُ النَّارِ وَصُفِّدَتْ الشَّيَاطِينَ When Ramadan arrives, the doors of Jannah are opened, and the doors of the fire are shut, and the shayateen are changed. Allah creates the atmosphere for us. Every night in another hadith we learn, every day actually, in Ramadan, the angels announce, Ya baghi al-khayri aqbil, wa ya baghi al-sharri aqsir. O seeker of good, come forward. And O seeker of evil, desist. Because this is a month of good, not the month of evil. 
And having prepared this climate and atmosphere for us, having paved the way for us, having given us all the tools and the opportunities, the atmosphere and the climate for us to change, for us to divert attention away from our bodies and onto our ruh, if we do not seize this opportunity now in the month of Ramadan, then at which other time will we? This is why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in many hadith, he actually explains... Uh, and he describes the individual who is unable to earn forgiveness in this month as being the one who is deprived of all good. The one who is deprived of the blessings of Ramadan, he is the one who is deprived of all good. Because if there is no hope for him in Ramadan, how can there be hope for him out of Ramadan? And I end with one final hadith related by Imam Hakim in his al-Mustadrak and by others, by Ka'b ibn Ujrah radiyallahu He says, one day Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam climbed the mimbar and placing his foot on the first step, he said, Ameen. And then on the second step, he placed his foot, he said, Ameen. On the third step, he placed his foot and he said, Ameen. When he descended, we addressed him and said, O Messenger of Allah, today we have observed you do something which we have never seen you do before. When you ascended the mimbar, you placed your foot on the first rung and you said, Ameen. Then on the second, you said, Ameen. Then on the third, you said, Ameen. That's all we heard, O Messenger of Allah. What, what was that? Prophet wasallam said, when I climbed the mimbar, Jibreel salam came to me. And when I put my first, when I put my foot on the first step of the mimbar, Jibreel alayhi salam said to me, O Messenger of Allah, may that person be distanced and removed from the mercy of Allah who finds the month of Ramadan and yet he is still unable to earn forgiveness. So I said, Ameen. Then I placed my foot on the second step and he said, O Messenger of Allah, May that person be deprived of the mercy of Allah who finds both or one of his parents and then through them he is still unable to earn paradise. I said, Ameen. And then on the third step, uh, on, the third, on the second step, on the third step, he said, O Messenger of Allah, may that individual be distanced from the mercy of Allah in whose presence your noble name is mentioned. In fact, this was on the second step. Your noble name is mentioned and... He still does not send salutations, peace, blessings and prayer upon you. So I said, Ameen. The reason I mention is that this hadith has been narrated by various authors and the order and procedure for the three things is different in some of the narrations. But in general, this is the meaning. The first, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his Ramadan, that that person is distant from the mercy of Allah who finds the month of Ramadan and yet is still unable to earn his forgiveness. Imagine, the chief of all the angels makes a dua at the member of the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and the chief of all the prophets says ameen to that dua. And may that person be deprived of the mercy of Allah who finds the month of Ramadan and yet is unable to earn his salvation and forgiveness. There's much more that can be said. I end with this. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to appreciate this opportunity of the month of Ramadan. Realize that it's a month of the ruh and the spirit. May Allah enable us to observe Ramadan as it should be observed, as a month of fasting, not of feasting and festivity. It's a month of sacrifice. It's a month of charity. It's a month of repentance. It's a month of patience. It's a month of sharing, 
of sympathy. All of these words have been uh, described in some way in that hadith. And that in doing so, and in observing these teachings of Rasulullah and observing Ramadan as we should, Allah enables our ruh to grow and to flourish so that it is to our ruh that we will hear the address, as Allah mentions in the Quran, that on that day it will be said, Ya ayyatuhan nafsul mutma'inna, irji'i ila rabbika radiyatan mardiyya, fadkhuli fi ibadi, wadkhuli jannati. Again, the address, the announcement, will not be to the body, it will be to the spirit. As Allah mentions in the Quran, it will be said, O content soul, Ya ayyatuhan nafsul mutma'inna, irji'i ila rabbika radiyatan mardiyya, return to your Lord, in such a state that you are content and Allah is pleased with you. فَدْخُلِي فِي عِبَادِي And enter amongst my servants. وَدْخُلِي جَنَّتِي And enter in my gardens. I end here. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand the words of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and act on them. وَسَلَّ وَسَلَّمَ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ وَرَسُولِهِ نَبِيِّنَا مُحَمَّدْ وَعَلَىٰ آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمَّ وَبِحَمْدِكَ نَشْهَدُ وَاللَّهِ إِلَّا إِلَّا أَنْتْ نَسْتَغْفِرُكَ وَنَطُوبُ إِلَيْكَ This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on double zero double four one two one double seven one three triple seven or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.